if you're going through a divorce right now, just understand that you can get through this, especially when you're listening to podcasts like this, you're getting the education to make better decisions. And that is going to help your children. Are you ready? Are you shitty down? We're going to pull back the curtain on the divorce process, the mistakes and the missteps. How can couples navigate the divorce process? Can you still divorce in a healthy way? The conversation is as good as it gets. It's fun, insightful. It will change the way you think about your life and how to tackle life's challenges. The Shine On Podcast, season three. It's episode 57 of The Shine On Podcast. I'm Evan Shine. We have an absolutely great show today. Coming up, I sit down for an incredible interview with Olivia Summerhill. We talk money, marriage, and divorce. Wait until you hear about Olivia's perspective on money and how she uses her background and real-life experiences to help women navigate the uncertainty and financial complexity of the divorce world. Will I be financially okay? What will my lifestyle look like going forward? These are just a few of the questions Olivia helps to answer when she works with her clients. And producer Dave, I am absolutely fired up for today's interview. But before we dive into this great spot with Olivia, let's get right into the docket. Let's do it. And now let's see what's on the docket. All right, we have a jam-packed docket today, Evan, including a video clip a little later in this segment, which will be an audio clip for our podcast listeners. The first item, though, comes to us from newsbreak.com. Item one. News story, divorced mom of two who has a hidden horrible reason for divorce comes clean to her best friend and sister-in-law. Divorce, a woman who divorced her husband, reads the article, kept the real reason why they separated to herself, but now she explains in a Reddit post the real truth, and apparently everyone is horrified. Your thoughts on this one, Evan? Dave, I got to tell you, this is a situation I, I, I wouldn't wish upon anyone. Look, the bottom line is this is a tricky spot, and the spot's got multiple layers. You have a friendship and a marriage all intertwined, and the question really is, how honest should you be about the reasons for a split when there's children involved and the reasons if they involve someone's personal struggle? And here, the reason for the split, according to the author, was because of an underlying substance abuse issue that greatly impacted the party's marriage and relationship. And Dave, what do you think? Should the author have told her best friend, who happens to be the sister of her ex, that the real reason for the breakup is his struggles with alcohol? Or is that something she really could should have kept to herself? Well, telling someone you're close to, I suppose, isn't the worst move in the world, even though it, it was risky in this situation. But if she trusts the person, maybe better to get it off her chest and maybe get some advice on that. I'm not so sure it was wise to share it on a Reddit post, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I, she went from not telling anyone to right. you know, telling the entire world. But look, to me, I don't know. Isn't this someone's personal choice? Because her ex was upset that she told the family. Mm -hmm. The ex was upset right. that this wasn't her secret to really divulge. So I think from that perspective, I could appreciate and understand why the ex felt that way. On the other hand, look, 
there's a benefit because if the family knows, they can provide support in different ways. Yeah, you could argue she was just doing it to help him. Who knows what the true motivations were? Well, now everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> we move on, Evan, to item two. Item two. Interesting piece here comes from buffalonews.com, and it is a ranking of the divorce rates by profession. In other words, the jobs with the highest divorce rates. And I skipped right to the top of the list, Evan, and I'll tell you that number three, massage therapists, insert joke here, number two, <laughs> number two, bartenders, and number one, telemarketers. And uh, the, it's an extensive list all the way down to number 50, but your thoughts on this, Evan? Higher pay? Yes, please. Great firm <laughs> culture. Sign me up. Fantastic benefits. Count me in. Flexible work-life balance. I couldn't ask for more. But the likelihood that my profession will lead to a divorce? Wait, what? <laughs> That's right, Dave. As you said, in the Buffalo News from February 9th, there's actually an article about the jobs with the highest divorce rates. And number one on the list of jobs with the highest divorce rates, you said it, telemarketers, <laughs> massage therapists, sure, I can get it. <laughs> Bartenders, I absolutely yeah. get it. But telemarketers, look, I'm just happy that divorce attorney wasn't <laughs> up there in the top three <laughs> jobs and professions that are you know likely to lead to a divorce. But Dave, what do you make of this? Do you see a correlation between the type of work and profession and the chances of staying together until death do us part? Or is this one of those statistics, nuggets, that really is much to do about nothing? Well, I'm not sure. It might be somewhere in between. What I can't get around is, and I've never been a math genius or anything, but the number one profession, telemarketers, has a rate of somewhere circa 28%. And the divorce rate is a lot closer to 50% than it is to 28%. So I'm trying to figure out where these <laughs> are, are. I guess there are a lot of unemployed people getting divorced. I guess that would work out. But you you said it already, but we can joke about it. But massage therapists, that's a, that's a job that might inspire jealousy in a partner. Same with bartenders. Bartenders constantly chatting people up at the bar. Telemarketers, if they didn't have it bad enough, <laughs> they got this too. I kind of feel bad for them. No, no, but I guess, look, if you want to pursue a career in telemarketing, this really shouldn't hold you back. <laughs> Absolutely right. We move on to item three on the docket. Item three. I'm going to play a clip, Evan. It's from Fox News, the Greg Gutfeld show, I believe. And Julie Banderas, who's a commentator on the show, is going to talk about her divorce in rather colorful, colorful fashion. Let's take a listen. Valentine's uh, Ooh. <laughs> See? See? Yeah, it's stupid. Is I it? mean, even when I was married, I, yeah. I didn't get... For Wait, are you no longer Day. married? Well, I'm getting a divorce. I'm going to go ahead and say it right here for the very first time. Thank you, everyone. Congratulations <laughs> are in order. No, no, no. Congratulations are in order. So there you have it. Your thoughts on that public announcement, which she delivered with, with some enthusiasm, I would think. Dave, look, nothing says happy Valentine's Day. Like announcing that you're actually getting divorced on <laughs> national TV, and we had to get a Valentine's Day mention yeah. in the show. Well, because it's Valentine's Day and Hallmark loves it. Godiva Chocolate loves loves it and they can't get enough. And 1-800-Flowers, well, this has to be their absolute favorite day of the year. But does anyone else end up happy on Valentine's Day? People talk about upticks in divorce consultations and the new year in January. 
let me tell you something. In the weeks that follow Valentine's Day, there's a boom. People can't get it right on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Everybody screws up. Wow. No one did enough. No one got the right gift. And you know where that leads you, Dave? Yep. Right to my office. <laughs> so Viva Valentine's Day, I guess, from your perspective. What what's interesting is I most couples I think they would rank, where do you rank Valentine's Day? I think that's the, it's said that it's an invented holiday. If you are in a relationship, you've got birthday, you've got a birthday, you've got an anniversary potentially, and then Valentine's Day, maybe it's too much. Maybe it's to get rid, get rid of this. But as long as it's uh, keeping the people coming in your door, Evan, I guess we'll stick with it. So we're up to the portion of the program where we hear from you, the listeners, in this installment of Ask Evan. Ask Evan. Ask Evan. Ask Evan. Today's edition of Ask Evan, Sandy from Rye, New York, writes the following. My husband and I have mutually agreed to divorce. What I did not tell him is that as our marriage began to deteriorate a year ago, I started a relationship with another man. I fear he will discover this and use it a weapon against me. What should I do? What advice can you possibly give to Sandy? Thanks for your question. There's two parts to my answer. First, from a legal standpoint, look, there's not much ammunition your husband will have, even if he finds out that you started this other relationship a year ago, before you let him know that you wanted to get divorced. So this is much more of a personal and emotional question than a legal one. The choice is yours. And whether you feel that you owe it to your husband or not to tell him that the relationship was going on for some time, that's up to you and nobody can make this decision but you. But make it knowing that even if you told him or he found out, it will carry very, very little legal weight. That's another edition of Ask Evan. If you want to submit a question for Evan to answer on the podcast, email producer Dave at david at pod617.com. Our featured guest on this week's episode of the Shine On Podcast is Olivia Summerhill. Olivia is a certified divorce specialist, money coach, and certified divorce financial analyst. She's the host of the Must Listen To Divorce for Wealthy Women podcast. Olivia, it's great to have you with us. Welcome to the Shine On Podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And Olivia, you are a trusted advocate for ultra high net worth women going through the divorce process. So I want to ask you about your process. When you sit down with a client, what's the first thing that you want to find out and the first question that you ask? Oh, first thing I want to find out is where is she emotionally? I don't ask this. I can tell within seconds just by her getting on the phone or her on a Zoom screen and just seeing where she is in the divorce process will come out very quickly. The first thing that I want to do with her is I want to listen. So it's really, my job is so easy. I just want to listen, get to know exactly where she's at. And also, again, that emotional part, where is she at? What's going through her, her mind right now in the divorce process? Tell us more about that because I'm intrigued. You talk about the emotions and how that sort of dictates where someone is in the process. But from your standpoint, when you're working with a woman who's either going through the divorce or even in post-divorce life, how does someone's emotional state impact and guide their decisions financially and how they think about money? 
Oh, okay. So if we are going through a traumatic situation and divorce is a trauma, we, we all can say there's micro traumas throughout the day within a divorce situation. If we are in fight or flight with our amygdala, if we can't actually process information like we would if we were calm, we can't move forward and make the right decisions. So I think I'm in psychology of financial planning. I'm in behavioral finance. I look into the psychology of money and within the divorce realm, if you don't have that, that ability to look at decisions without your emotional turmoil going on in the background, or if you are in fight or flight and you can't make a decision at all, how are you going to get through the divorce process? So I bring up emotions all the time, all the time. It's so imperative to know where you're at emotionally. And then also, how is that going to guide you forward and what do you need to do next? And Olivia, you use the word listen. And I would say that listening, it's one of the hardest skills, whether you're a planner, whether you're an attorney, it's one of the hardest and most challenging skills, yet it's one of the most important things, no matter the profession, that you can do is to just listen. Most financial planners want to jump in, whether it's Excel spreadsheets or offer ideas and offer advice. Tell us more about that part of your work, the simple skill of listening. Okay, Evan, you said it 100% correct. Most financial planners, advisors, wealth managers, someone in the family office, they're going to give the advice of this is what you should do next. This is, I have the path set out for you. The hardest thing that I got to learn in my 20s was how to listen and how to just sit back and ask open-ended questions. Because yes, we might have as the experts, you and I, everyone in this field, the right path, but we need to ask, what is the path she wants to take? And so that's one of the things that I've had to really learn. I will not say I'm an expert at everything in life. Of course not. And <laughs> listening, you still want to learn more and more how to listen better and better. And so I'm always doing more, I guess, educational standpoints for myself to, to make sure that I am listening fully for my clients and not giving that advice because it you want to, right? You want to give the best advice. You want to do it from your heart but they know the best answer most of the time. And you just need to sit back and listen. Olivia, do you find that women face different challenges than men when they're going through a divorce and after the divorce process? That's a big question because it depends on who the person is. So everyone is going to say something different and feel something different. But then we could say, well, everyone's going to feel some kind of guilt or anger or uh, mistreated, misunderstood. Um, they might not have the, the same emotions at the same time, but we can all kind of, I don't, I don't know how to answer that because we can either go one way and say, okay, men and women are different, of course. And I see a lot with women is the children and how to actually have that, that breaking away almost of being a full-time mother at home. That is different than most of the men that I see and in the field of they're the ones owning the business. But then again, we can all have the same emotions, just different time points in the divorce. So he's feeling the same emotions as well. I guess that's my final answer is we're all <laughs> feeling emotions in divorce. Doesn't matter if you're the male or female. And that's where I come into play is the empathy side of things. Looking at his point of view, he's fearful around the money too. He's fearful of the divorce. He's fearful of the kids being taken away, just like she is. So very long answer to give, very different answers. No, I love it. Look, <laughs> like you said, it depends on sort of the emotional state, who you're working with, what the needs are. 
of each person at a particular time. Olivia, let's get into your background, your personal life. What sort of experiences for you, your background, your personal life, make you excel in the work that you do? Oof. So I grew up in an ultra high net worth family and saw firsthand the devastation divorce can do to a family that can never be repaired if you don't have the right team players in and helping with the, the divorce process. So not only have I seen it firsthand as a child, but in my 20s in the financial field, being able to help people build wealth and understand where they need to be with their money and understand the emotions behind money and what their behaviors from their own childhood is affecting their current patterns with all of this kind of piled on experience and education to get to where I am now. And that's being able to listen to women in divorce, but also understand the other side of the story, which is going to help the children, honestly. And the, the, if you're going through a divorce right now, whoever's listening, just understand that you can get through this and there is ways to do this better especially when you're listening to podcasts like this, you're getting the education to make better decisions. And that is going to help your children. Olivia, you mentioned team players. How do you call on other professionals for your clients during the divorce process, other people who can really fill out the members of your client's team? I have trusted contacts within different parts of the world that can do different tasks that I do not do because I stay in my little lane I'm just, <laughs> right, I, I have my expertise and that's it and I love it. And so I bring in people that are best of the best in what they do, such as like last week, an art consultant who can actually come in and look at the artwork that a family has and understand what their needs are, understand the divorce process and help them understand where to go next. And then I have other people like, let's say luxury realtor who actually specializes in divorce because we don't know what the best solutions are for this family at the very beginning of a divorce. So bringing in as many experts as I can to make sure that they're getting the best answers. Because again, I don't do it. <laughs> I don't know anything in the art consulting world as someone who has been in it for 40 years does. So bringing in experts, I think is absolutely the epitome of the best decisions you can make is, is listening to the right people, bringing in the right people. And I think recognizing, like you, like you said, I think, I think it's brilliant, recognizing when to bring those people on board, who those people are, it's an incredible, incredibly important thing. Look, and like you said, you stay in your lane, you know what you excel in it, but then you also have an incredible you know, Rolodex of other professionals to bring in, depending on the situation. Olivia, you are also a certified philanthropic advisor. What does that entail? And how did your training help you? Oof, okay. So I... A philanthropic advisor is someone who can give the best of the best advice with the finances within a family who may have generational wealth or they might be the first generation wealth and wanting to give back their assets or they're wanting to protect their assets so that they can give back when they're ready. And so a philanthropic advisor is someone who can come in, help understand the goals of the family, understand where they want to put the assets. And that really solidified when I started that work as a philanthropic advisor, that solidified the fact that I want to help people within the financial field that have ultra high net worth because their complex needs and issues and problems, in my mind, need the right team players and the knowledge-based professionals to help them get to those goals 
And that's why I love doing what I do is I can bring in now a philanthropic advisor who can help. Hey, we have a divorce going on, but we also know that there's still this foundation on the side and there's still these things that are generationally wanting to be passed down to other family members to help the society that they're in or the little community, whatever it may be. So how do we do that? We bring in the professionals, but I, I obviously have the background on what they do every day because I used to do it. So <laughs> well, you have such incredible passion about your work, about all the things you do. And I know you speak and present and have the brilliant podcast, which is a must listen to. Tell us about your passion to really mentor and to really teach other professionals, really young professionals in the field who are coming up. Tell us about that. I have done as much as I possibly can to help other generations younger than myself and older, honestly, it doesn't matter our ages on, in my mind, I'm 33, but a lot of my friends are in their fifties. So I don't know, but in the generations that are younger, helping them actually get into the field of finance and know that it's a good field for those who don't want to sell products. Cause that's what I think of when I think of a financial advisor selling products. Oh, there's so many different paths and let's listen to your needs. So my mentee I might have at one point, I'm listening to what their goals are, their needs, and then getting them on the right path and also introducing them to the right people. Because again, I have that Rolodex and I like it and I use it to my benefit for other people. And so if we can help others that are older or younger, but a lot of times it is younger, get into the right field and see a path that is just excelling and everyone can be involved in, why wouldn't we? So I've really enjoyed it. I get a lot out of it. I learn a lot. It's kind of selfish in a way. <laughs> it's a win-win for everybody. No, I think that's, it's kind of, Tell us an example of a lesson or multiple lessons that you've learned over the years from working with your clients that have helped you in future situations. Ooh, always. Read your emails very carefully and have your clients give the email they want to send to their soon-to-be ex to you to proofread before they send it out. So I always look at my own emails now very carefully before I send it to either client because there's such thing called anchoring bias. And that's a bias within financial psychology. That is, if we see a number, we are going to be anchored in that number. And it's going to be very hard to say, let's say, oh, I think your house is going to be worth 14 million and you're going to still get it in a divorce. I don't know. If I email that over and say 14 million is what I think because I've worked with the realtors and the mortgage people, whatever, that is going to be anchored in my client's mind. So I make sure I review my emails and that's because of past experiences of clients, as well as I also love, 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 love to ask clients, to please send me emails of what they want to send other people, such as their soon-to-be ex, because I can look at it with a non-biased perspective, non-emotional perspective, and it absolutely can save the next steps in the divorce process. I promise you that's happened so many times because we can become passive-aggressive in emails and not even know it. So for me, I think that's the biggest thing right now. And recently it's been more and more and I love being able to, to work on that for myself and clients. I love it. I want to go back to something you said earlier in the podcast. You talked about the psychology of money and mindset and emotion. Have you seen a shift 
in the past five years, 10 years on how your clients think about money, perceive money, and how hard it might be to have that money conversation? It's still hard in the ultra high net worth world because we have secrecy. We have discreetness. We do not want to talk about our family money. Wealth, especially if it's generational or if she was the one who married into the family money, it's very hard to break that barrier. And so I still see it's, it's not a conversation that's easy with, with just talking about it in general at all. However, about a decade ago, behavioral finance started to work its way up into the, the news and people are becoming more aware of it. So I have all the faith in the world in the next decade, you are going to see a lot more people feeling comfortable talking about behavioral finance and emotions of money and all of those patterns and everything that's related to finance and money, especially in divorce. Just give it a few more years. What's the most rewarding part of your work? When my clients' weights lift off their shoulders and I could see it just like that. And it's not hard. It's just crazy, amazing. I get that just rewarded feeling all the time. You see it. I see it. When a client may want to stay in a marriage for financial reasons, financial security. Do you ever counsel a client or a woman to stay in a relationship for that financial security? Uh, we could talk about this all day long. So <laughs> I will say, I'll give it a short answer. I will say that I get the right people involved. So as, let's just take an example of someone last year, as a client, I asked her, do you even want to get divorced? She did not at all. However, that is something that she can't make the decision on her own with sure. him. And even though there's other situations of there's financial abuse or there's financial secrecy, she doesn't know where the accounts are. She's terrified. She actually doesn't know if she should get divorced. Getting the right people involved. So I still get in a therapist and I get in a divorce attorney because we need to have the right answers to make the right decisions. On the other side of things, I always like to also, if she is petrified that she will not financially make it, but she does want the divorce, it's okay, let's go over the options. Let's make sure you feel concrete and secure and safe around money. And then we'll make the right decision on even if you should get divorced or not. Maybe you had so much fear around the finances that an open conversation with your husband is going to fix everything. Because what, 97% of us have money anxiety. We don't like to talk about money. We have anxiety over it. We just hide it in the back room or we put our head in the sand. And sometimes that's where I go with the conversation is, okay, maybe we don't need to talk about divorce today. We just need to talk about your money history, your money patterns, and then also having an open conversation and bringing it up to your husband in the right ways, the family money history. I love a good number and statistic, and I'm, I'm still thinking about that number you threw out there, 97%. Did I, did I hear that? Right. I right? think it's higher. I think it's higher. I know that 97% what the statistic is, but I, I don't know anyone else that's very comfortable. <laughs> I love talking about it, but I had to do my own years of money coaching on myself and my money history and understand my psychology of money and therapy to understand how to talk about it and be comfortable. So I don't know anyone else who is no people, so. people look to avoid it at all costs. But that's a yeah. perfect segue to my next question, because look, it's no secret that divorce is common in 2023. How big 
of a role does finances, financial secrecy, financial abuse, financial whatever. You can substitute in really any word you want, but, but how big does money and finances play in marriages and inevitably divorce? I think you should answer this. What do you think? Because I think it's 100%, but it's, I'm biased. No, I see it all the time. Look, very few people sit across from me in my office and say, hey, look, I want to get divorced. And by the way, my husband and I, my partner and I, we're on the same financial path forward or we have the same ideas around money. Nobody says that, right? So very few times do I see people connect financially, but also want to get divorced. Very true. Very true. Perfectly said. How do you define success professionally and also personally? So professionally is being the weight lift off the shoulders as quick as it may come. And sometimes that's within the first 10 minute conversation on a consultation. So she's not even a client, but she reaches out and I just, oh, that's, that's success to me. Uh, and then success in personal life is staying content and happy and serene and calm and balanced at all times. And that took years again of work and success is, is no longer what it used to be, which is, oh, make a lot of money, be successful to other people, show off, right? Your ego takes a hold. Nope. Today, it's just stay exactly where I'm at and content and balanced. Olivia, what's the most unusual dilemma you've had to deal with in advising a client? I mean, there's a million different things that are unusual in my day to day. So because of the work I do, it, it's quite bizarre compared to what I think normally people see in divorce. Uh, a recent case, they were really upset over statues, but it was in a warehouse that neither of them had seen for years on end. So going with that bizarre, okay, there's an emotional attachment to the statue or it's a, I want to get back at him for something else. So let's take a step back and actually do the work and see where this is coming from. So we always find the solution, but sometimes there's that big thing in the middle and divorce and the statue was that. And that was just a recent case that it was a little interesting. Yeah, no, there's never a dull moment in your world or my world. And Olivia, you mentioned that you might be the only person on the planet who likes talking about money and for everybody else, there's anxiety and it's a struggle. There was an article in the New York Times on February 12th titled Young in Love and Figuring Out How to Talk About Money. And the article talks about how many young couples, they really struggle to talk about money and finances. And although I'm seeing more and more couples enter prenuptial agreements, the money conversation is still pretty hard for people to have. So we talked about divorce. Now let's talk about marriage, really before marriage. What is your advice for couples on how to navigate these difficult financial conversations early in their relationships? So one, I love you bring up prenups. I mean, I love if someone can get to the right lawyer, have that money conversation that's very, very difficult and acknowledging that it's going to be tough conversations. But if you have those tough conversations now, think of how great the marriage is going to be. You're going to be one of the 50% that stays married because you understand the finances. So I think having that, that conversation is great, but you're asking me how to have it, right? So, okay. I think enjoying the situation and making it very brief and short and efficient and just in a, an enjoyable setting is always the best. So coming together when you're dating and saying, I am here, this is my feelings, I'm uncomfortable around money, 
but I'd love to have this comfortability with you and familiarity of your finances and my finances so that we can have a successful long-term relationship. If you're coming with the vulnerability of yourself, saying what you feel around money, they're more apt to saying, yes, let's meet. And then you make it fun and you make it very short. So 20 minutes, we're going to go to a winery on the top of a really cool mountain with a really cool view. Something that's very different, out of your norm, almost like a date night, and only 20 minutes. You talk about whatever you can get into that conversation around money and then set another date, maybe in a month. Don't do it all at once. Don't try to accomplish it. It's just like running a marathon. We don't want to try to do it all today. We just want to go very small, keep it over six months to a year. It's going to benefit you. So I love that you're bringing this up because we can keep marriages together if we talk about the money. I absolutely believe in that. And I guess having a glass of wine, if if that doesn't make the money conversation easier, I don't know what does. (laughs) Of course. And Olivia, as we finish up with the podcast, I want to ask you about your mild addiction to collecting saltwater fish. I have to ask, what the heck is that about? And what does that collection even look like? Oh, so growing up, I, I didn't realize that 20 years later, I would get into the same habit. But I saw neighbors and my family and and we all had these saltwater aquariums. I don't know. It was just a very weird thing. They were huge, right? And I got into just, oh, I'm going to get a little cute, maybe two corals, maybe one little tiny fish and a little cube saltwater tank. That took so much effort that the smaller the tank, the harder it is. So I ended up getting bigger tank and then you get more coral and you get more fish and then you get a bigger tank, then it's easier. And then you have all the gadgets and tools and fun things that read and do things for you. And so it becomes an addiction very fast. I have very many friends now in the saltwater community and it's, it's really, really, I think I'm the youngest by 40 years in this little addiction of mine, (laughs) but (laughs) just a really fun thing. And they're so relaxing to watch. And and when you're cleaning the tank, it's just, it's enjoyable. And it really does bring a lot of joy when other people see the fish. So I don't know. It's a very funny addiction. And speaking of joy, I know you have so many incredible passions and hobbies outside of work. How did did those hobbies and activities and really what you love doing outside of work help you as you counsel and advise your clients? Every single day, I journal, meditate, read something inspirational, and I don't watch TV. I'm not on social media besides LinkedIn. So my focus in life is to stay balanced and full. My cup is 200% full daily. And not saying there's no such thing as a bad day or a bad emotion, but if I can take care of my body and myself and go on a run or my saltwater aquarium addiction, have fun with that and and do my other fun activities outside of work, I bring myself to my client at their deepest, darkest, worst moments. And that's when the weight can lift off faster because they know someone there is confident, relaxed, poised, ready to go, and knows what they're doing. So I don't know if I answered you correctly, but that's what I'm saying today. No, you did. I'm going to have a whole, a whole new outlook on how I spend my day. But I have to tell you, Olivia, this was as good as it gets. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Your podcast, Divorce for Wealthy Women podcast, is absolutely terrific. Tell all the listeners how they can get in touch. You know, hear more about all the wonderful things that you're doing and all your resources. Call me anytime anyone has a question. I can get you to the right person if I'm not a good fit. 
my website is just typing in Olivia Summerhill. You'll find me there. This was fantastic. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Episode 57 of the Shine On Podcast. Olivia Summerhill, she was brilliant. What an absolutely terrific conversation with her. Producer Dave, what a show. Happy Valentine's Day. How good was that interview with Olivia? It was terrific. Not only did I learn a lot about her services and how she helps her clients, but I kind of want to go out and buy a fish now and get an aquarium. You should. You should do it. You and Olivia, the saltwater fish community, adds another one. Yes. And everybody can listen to the podcast and all major podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever else you listen to your podcast. Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. You can follow the podcast and subscribe. I'm Evan Shine, and I'll talk to you again real soon.